I've never made a deal with Leonard where I give him a dollar every time I talk about him, so I feel free to do that anytime. Um, I don't have very many close friends, and Leonard's one of them, so we spend time talking. And one of the things that um, one of the things that we were talking about the other day was it's almost like you spend your entire Christian life in the scriptures, and you never really notice the theme of suffering and um, uh, theme of gloom, the theme of the world being in darkness and um, mourning in need and around this, this, all of these things. And I think that part of the challenge in reading the, uh, these narratives is that they always come around a time where we're so distracted by kind of like the jazz hands of the season, you know, that we forget like, oh yeah, yeah, of course there's suffering. Yeah, we, we kind of like, we say, oh well, if people are suffering, I know Christmas can be hard for some people this time of year. But in reality, um, this time of year uh, is ultimately uh, going to be hard for everybody who doesn't know Christ, right? Um, every blessing Every, for, for believers, every bad thing we receive and every good thing is ultimately work for God's good. For those who do not know Christ, even the good things are ultimately not going to end up being of any satisfaction. And so the, the gloom that Christ comes to dispel is real. The, the, the work that he comes to do, as we read through Isaiah, um, all of the things where people were suffering, people were um, losing their children, all the things that were happening, all, all, all of that is an expectation of anticipation that this has got to end at some point. This, this needs to end because there's no way that um, anything can be satisfying if this is the final answer. If the, the life that I'm currently living is all there is and this is all I have to look forward to, then that is not satisfying. And so, so all of the things that we have been going through have almost prepared us better for what it is that Christ has come. And I think we've be, we've been prior to this it, prior to this we've been hobbled by distraction from the world and and our suffering is actually made in stark relief the promised resurrection to where we we can't we can't rely upon um, all of the goodness around us so to speak and it is good stuff don't feel guilty opening up presents today like I'm not supposed to be happy you are be joyful but the point is is those things those things as good as they are um, can just distract from the really good news of what Christ has done. Um, I even, you know, like, I think Leonard and I are alike in a lot of ways where I've always been the kind of person that never wants to kind of make a big deal about things. Like, if somebody brings me the wrong food, I would never be the kind of guy that says, I'm going to send that back. You know, this wasn't cooked the way I I meant it or something like that. And so, um, you know, one of the things I, I was asking, are you guys going to come to the Christmas Eve service? And he sort of was like, almost like, well, I don't want to ruin Christmas Eve service for everybody else kind of thing. He didn't really quite say it, but it was sort of that vibe. And I was like thinking, ruin, ruin that. That's like, you're, you're part of our family. How could, how could your grief possibly be the thing that would keep us from this? And see, that's the thing. We have to all, we have to all, we, including 
Lannert's family had to get over the fact that like their, their sorrow was not a distraction for us. It was the thing that allowed us, along with the Rouse and their sorrow, we, we come together as family. We come together in the midst of whatever grief or joys and we're bringing them to them. And so we saw the, the full expression of that yesterday. I was just like, I was just like um, watching the, the Christmas Eve services Little kids, the, the little Vasquez kids were singing. Um, sorry, you guys aren't as little as you used to be. I guess you're growing, but um, I'm not trying to insult you now that the kids are all in here. And by the way, kids, I'm going to keep it below an hour because I know you're like really anxious to gather. And they're like, Mom, when's he going to stop? We got to go. But um, the, the, um, the, and then, and then to hear Abby like singing with the with the Hutzels, and then and then the sorrow, like the the sorrow, everything, every range of emotion was being brought to God as we're saying, "This is good. This is bad. Um, I I hate darkness. I love joy." And 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 then and then and then, but. The king said no to darkness, and that's what we're saying here in the Gospel of John, kind of the culmination of all this pent-up demand, God storing up the tears of his saints for centuries and finally answering in the answer. And, and all, of the gospel, all of the Gospels start with a family thing. If you notice, they all start with family. The, the difference in John is they start with the family of God from all eternity, and they go back to the very beginning, and we see that God's plan was all along to deal with this. And so let's stand for the reading of God's word in John chapter 1, and I'll read the first five verses, and then we'll be seated. John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and, the, and life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Please be seated. So, we see at the very beginning that this... That this he who came into the world, everything that was like anticipated about this Messiah when he finally comes, the revelation of, of the Son of God or, or, or Jesus becoming man or that, that God becoming man, that, that there's Father, Son, and Spirit is a, a thing that happens historically. It completely blows the minds that you, you probably couldn't have understood this as a prophet. It, almost, it had to be almost revealed historically that God was in the beginning was it, is from all eternity, Father, Son, and Spirit, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That there is one God, but there are three persons who are God. And we don't have time to go into a deep Trinitarian reflection, but when it says that the Word was with God, there's this idea that they are face-to-face, that they're in such communion that the Father, Son, and Spirit are literally staring into each other's eyes. In, in, to use a human analogy, and we all understand that we would never ha- um, lock gaze with somebody for very long. Um, in fact, we know that there are places where that's completely inappropriate to do that. Um, there's a, uh, a person that I went to 
to high school with, and and I, you know, kind of you run into people over Facebook over time, and he had he he was part of this um, this uh, ad campaign in which. They, he was in the, the Far East at this point, and they did this ad campaign where they had these two family members just standing, looking at each other eye to eye for like, and they would all start out, and they would have to look at each other into each other's eyes for like five minutes. I don't know why I get emotional about this, but inevitably, they would just start crying. You would see a father with his daughter, and because... Those kinds of things, those kinds of uh, like locking on eyes don't happen and it's just like you, when you see into somebody's soul, it's almost like you can't be distracted and there's, there's this tremendous intimacy about that and this is the intimacy that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have to be able to, to have such close communion. There's this interpenetration of the persons to where every action is all together and they, they, they are, all, are all the same God and yet... This son, the father, son, and spirit have resolved that the son would come into the world to save the world from sin and darkness. And it says that the light has come into the world and the darkness has not overcome it. That's kind of an over understatement um, that the, the darkness has not overcome it. Um, I, you know, I, I hesitated to use this analogy and then Leonard thought it was pretty good. So I figured... I'm going to go with it. But I couldn't, I, I was trying to understand, like, because in the past you're thinking, well, of course light can't overcome, I mean, darkness can't overcome light, because even if you light a match, you can see the match, right? It's like the darkness can't go and go, no, I'm going to cover you up, and that sort of thing. But the idea here is one of sin and the darkness of evil, the evil of human sin and, and uh, other evil um, from 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 the pit of hell, it, it can't overcome these things. In fact, I was even thinking about the fact today as I was, you know, some people think foolishly or crazily running in the morning, and it was very dark outside, and I had a headlamp on, but I was, I was reflecting, first of all, it was really cold, and I was thinking, well, darkness is usually, it's really cold when it's dark, and then there's all sorts of, there's all sorts of death associated with it, but if you didn't have much in the way of, like, you didn't have batteries back then, so maybe you had a, a small wick of a light, and, and in some ways you could feel like darkness is enveloping you, but, but one of the scenes that I was thinking about in this analogy is that uh, apologies to true Tolkien um, like scholars here, but there aren't actually three parts to The Hobbit, but for commercial reasons, they broke it up into three parts in the movies um, to make more money. And when, um, and, and you may recall that Gandalf in part in, in episode two, I think it is, or the second part, I don't know what they call it, it's Hobbit part two, whatever it is. Um, but he's, uh, he's like, he's in this castle and he goes in there and he tells Radagaskar to, to scram. And I don't know why, but he does. But he ends up like uh, all of these things are being hidden by some sort of dark magic. And then he finally breaks it with some sort of thing. And, and it turns out to be this, this, this darkness that's just too much for him. He starts trying to hold it off with his, with his staff. And you can kind of see him trying to push the darkness out, but the darkness, he's, you know, I don't know if you guys can see this, but it's like that because the darkness is coming around him and finally it just overwhelms him and breaks his staff. And then he seems to be done for, except at the beginning of, 
of the third hobbit, like he's like about to be dispatched by this, this really evil creature, and Galadriel comes in. It's like, yeah, and she's like, you're not going to touch him. He goes, and you better get away, and then he's like, he decides not to do that, and she just wipes him away with, with light, and then, and then all of this light ends up overcoming all this darkness, and it's just a faint reflection, but the idea here is that it's, it's sort of like, if you want to use the analogy, is that by ourselves, if we were trying to say like, oh, um, you know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, so to speak. You know, if we think like, I'm going to have faith, I'm going to have trust, I'm going to have goodness, and the darkness won't overcome my light. In reality, what we're talking about here is that the darkness will overcome us. The darkness can crush us. In some ways, what, we're, what, what some of experiencing is like, darkness is my only friend. I don't feel like getting out of bed. I don't feel like doing anything. I'm like, I can't imagine life anymore because things are so hard. And yet then the light has overcome the darkness. The light has put to death sin and death. The light has overcome because it is the power of God. God from all eternity has come. This light has come and goodness has overcome darkness. And so we're able to remind the Baileys and all of us and the Rouse and everyone who's suffering to say today, let's get reminded of the vista. Let's get reminded that light has overcome the darkness so that when grief comes again and, 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 and tears are being uh, so the, 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 the tears are soaking pillows in the evening, they can be reminded again that no, there's still hope. There's still light has overcome the darkness. And even though it's, it's going to continue to sting and crush, the light has overcome the darkness. And we keep saying that. We keep encouraging. We keep reminding all of us as we're suffering, as we're going through these things, that the light has overcome the darkness. Because this is not just a happy saying. This is not just me trying to come up with motivational words to say, hey, put that on your mirror so you feel good. It's a person. It's the Son of God, the Son of God who's become flesh. He says, continues in verse 10 to 13, he says, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. So Christ came into the world to his own, and his own did not receive him. Now, what would, the, the natural result would be, and then he wiped them out because that's what they deserved. That's what, that's what the law would say. That's what justice, pure justice would demand. He made, he made all things. He went into his own to, to creatures who ought to have received him as their, as, as their king, they did not receive him. Therefore, he brought the armies of heaven and judged them righteously. And all of creation rightly praised God for his justice, that his justice was manifest in his wrath towards sin. That would be, that would be actually a very appropriate um, way that God could have dealt with human sin. And yet, this is, 
this is one of those things, if you never wrestle with this, then you have never wrestled with the grace of the gospel. If you think that grace is one of those things that's sort of like a government program to where because you're somehow in the U.S., you get some sort of compensation for the government simply for being alive. The idea of grace is something that you completely don't deserve. And yet, even though the people of God themselves, I was, I was thinking of this the other day. I was like, sometimes I get really distracted and think, well, of course the Jews didn't receive them. They're, they're not Christians. And I know, I know better than that, right? I know that that's not true, but we sometimes forget that God, that, that the Son of God came as the expectation, the, for, the foretold prophet of the Jews. This is not a brand new work where the Jews have some sort of Old Testament thing and we have some sort of new revelation that's completely disconnected. He came to them in the fulfillment and, and nobody received him. This is... I, I, I think, I, I've got to think that because he had the spirit in, me, in him, he's like singing, he's sort of like uh, had the expectation of Isaiah that I'm going to go in here and there's going to be people that receive, receive me, but like everybody that should know better is not going to. And, I'm, and he had to steal his mind to walk through as a man and just probably shake his head and say, I can't believe this. this is like I, I'm foretold for centuries in my own don't receive him and yet don't, don't receive me. And yet this is my mission that, that he, it says in another portion of scriptures, he did not come in the world uh, to condemn because the world was already condemned. You see, Christ's mission didn't need to come to announce condemnation because we were already condemned in our sin. He came to save us from our sin, and even though he did not, even though his own did not receive him, he did everything to to not to make salvation available for people, not to set up a plan. A five-step plan to say if you do one, two, three, four, and five, you can become children of God. But, but that, that he, ele- he set the conditions. He accomplished salvation so that all who received him could become children of God who were born from above. Not because they decided, you know what, I want to be born again. Go ahead and make me born again. No, because of God's mere grace, because Christ himself, by his own power, by the things that he did, by putting sin to death, by, by judging sin in, the, in his own flesh, by becoming becoming defiled what was that line yesterday i just like kept thinking about it where he says to the um he says to to the devil in the wilderness i will fall but not by your hand is that what it was i can't remember it says i will fall but but not by whatever it was but he's not going to bow to satan because he's coming in yes he will fall but he's going to fall and be judged for sin for his own he's going to it's his plan it's his plan to receive condemnation for our sake, to rescue us from sin, and to make the conditions for us to be called children of God. And it continues. Kids, we're, we're, we're coming to the conclusion here in case you're worried. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his, his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you think you have this, this mystery kind of unsolved and you haven't even begun to plumb the depths that God from all eternity who cannot change 
still uh, lowered himself by taking on a human nature. The second person of the Trinity took on a human nature. God who had, um, the Son of God who had been in, in, in perfect harmony with the, uh, the Son and the, or, sorry, with the, the Father and the Spirit from all eternity, uh, agreed with them that they would save a people for themselves. That they would be gracious together and the Son would be the, the victim. The Son would be the willing victim and the priest offering himself. He became flesh. He, he became tangible. He became, he became incarnate in the, in, the, in the womb of the Virgin Mary and went through all the things, all the travails of humanity, um, all the difficulties of sickness and gloom and losing even a, his adopted father, um, uh, uh, losing friendships, seeing, having to experience the sorrow of the death of loved ones, and more sorrow than we can imagine. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and he went through this for our account. It's sort of like if you've ever been, if you've ever been in a, a, a group of people and and. And you're, and you're, or you've been in a group of people and you're used to how everything smells and then people come in and it's like, wow, the, the odor's overwhelming to them, but th- you're used to it, right? Because you've been around it. And that's sort of like where Christ had to come into a world that reeked of sin and endure that for our, on our behalf. The perfect son of God who became flesh because, because he had to be God in order to to have the power in order to have the dignity to, for his sacrifice to be, to be worthy of, the, of the, the weight of sin and death that we all deserved. And yet he had to be fully man in order to be the actual, to actually represent us as the second Adam so that we could be saved. And it says here that he was full of grace and truth and, and the, two are, the two go together. The two, there, there is no, there is no, um, there is no truth that should not be said with grace, and there is no grace that's devoid of truth. It has to be the case that Christ is the only mediator between God and man, because He is the only one who is both God and man. And there's no value in. Um, beating around the bush and saying, well, there's many, pl- there's many ways and whatever you believe and whatever you believe in your heart is true and whether or not these things are true. No, that, it really matters because the grace of God is necessary for our salvation. And so today, uh, on this day in which there will be celebration and sadness, let's just again dig into these things and be reminded again of the importance of what it is that Christ has accomplished for his people that he came into a world of sin and sorrow. He came into a world of crushing sadness, of crushing gloom, of even the fact that everything that we would hold dear in life apart from him, that we could deceive ourselves in thinking that everything was great, everything was going well. We, we could live perfect lives without him or, or seem like perfect lives without him in terms of everything that we could ever imagine. And yet the reality would, would have been that we would have been so consumed and so deceived in our sin that we would have ultimately been judged for the fact that we were um, hostile to God and at enmity with him. And it is 
it is a grace of God that he sent his son into the world to, to, to uh, free us from that condemnation, to free us from that enmity, to free us from the bondage to sin and death so that there is hope for us. And so that we can also see that in the midst of both joy and, and sadness, that everything that we have now has the hope of resurrection, has the hope of, 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 of future glory around it, so that we can, we can receive the things. It's as if we, if, if, like um, last night, we had like a, a little bit of a feast, right? We, we had, actually, I ate way, ate way too much feast last night, but it's like I'm going to eat a lot today, right? I, I ate a lot last night knowing that I was going to eat a lot today as well, um, and actually intended to eat less. But the point is, what if I was living my life thinking that, well, I might not have anything more to eat, and so I better get everything I can right now, right? And so we're able to both enjoy the goodness of, of a feast today, knowing that there's an even greater feast ahead of us. But we're also able to deal with the sorrow of what's going on in our lives knowing that there is an end to sorrow as well. So at both ends of the spectrum, we don't have to worry about that there's just scarcity at the end, that there's no, there's no, um, there's nothing, there, there's something beyond the grave. There's something future glory beyond the glory, the present glory of what we experience or the present gloom. And so we're able, because of Christ, to look forward to that. And so let's meditate on that today, even as we're thankful for the gifts we receive, and even as we mourn over the, the, um, the memories of those that we've lost. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, we thank you for the Son of God. Thank you for him coming into the world and not leaving us in gloom and sorrow, not leaving us in frivolous joy and mirth, but coming just because you love us to set us free from both ends of the spectrum, either, either, either gloom without hope or frivolous joy without any consequence in knowing uh, that there is a righteous judge. And we thank you that you came to your own. And even though they did not receive you, even though your people did not receive you, you continued your mission to save us from our sins. And so we stand here today as recipients of that inheritance because of your goodness, not only to your people, but to ingather us into you. And so we um, thank you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.